let's go ahead and come on in and take our seats and get ready to, oh yes. So, I don't know. One of the challenges of living in, of having two homes, one you live in and one that you have your mail sent to, and I lose stuff. Now, I'm, I have never been a person who was good at keeping track of stuff anyway. Um, I'm a man who loses things frequently. Um, I don't know where I get that. My, my mom is here. She's, she's, she doesn't lose her stuff. My dad is like, he doesn't lose stuff. I lose everything. And <laughs> but when you, when you, let me tell you, when you live here and then all your mail gets sent over there, you just lose stuff. And I have lost more stuff. Um, and for a person who tends to lose things anyway, it's been a trial. So uh, my apology if I have lost any of your stuff. Um, all right, Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. We've got a few things I'd like to cover very quickly before we uh, dive into Isaiah 57. We'll say a little bit, we'll, we'll mention it again in the uh, worship service, and then next week we'll talk a little more fully about it. I want to just talk very briefly um, about some of the things we got planned for the coming year, uh, discipleship-wise. Um, and again, I'm just going to touch on these very briefly, um, uh, so you so you know, and then we can uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more fully about them. But today is just more by way of hey, just so you know, this is coming. Prepare yourselves uh, for it. Uh, first of all, our Wednesday morning men's beans and brews. Uh, how would you men feel about cranking that back up again this Wednesday? Okay, I'm seeing thumbs up, nods, thumbs. Okay, Wednesday, what did we say, 6.30? That's when we meet. Wednesday, 6.30, Beans and Brews, North Ogden. Uh, be there or be square. Okay? Um, so, yep, and uh, we will talk then. I have a few ideas, men, about what I want to emphasize uh, this uh, session. Uh, but we will uh, talk about it Wednesday morning. Secondly, a couple of ministry notes. Next week, we're going to send around a sign-up sheet um, asking you to participate in a few different ministries that we're going to be having at Fellowship this year. Um, they've, they're all ones that we've done before, um, but ones that you might be interested in. We, we Prior to COVID, we had some very specific ministry outlets. When COVID came, that kind of threw everything into... We had to kind of well, just threw everything into everything, okay? Um, and then we started work on the parsonage. And when we were doing the parsonage, we deliberately put some things on hold so that we could focus on the parsonage. But the parsonage is done. And we deliberately, I mean, we finished up the parsonage in March, April, and we decided to kind of just take the rest of the year nice and chill because we've been so busy doing that. But all that's behind us, and now it's time to start getting cranking on things again. Uh, we have a couple of ministries. Next week, we're going to ask you to consider signing up for. One is uh, the um, fellowship committee, uh, basically the party planning group. Um, you guys ensure that we have a lot of fun. And Ben and Opal are going to head that up for us. And that's going to be terrific. We also have uh, uh, Opal, your husband said you guys were leading it up. so. Um, Opal was looking at me like this was uh, news to her. Um, I will let you take that up with Ben. Um, and uh, so congratulations, Opal. Uh, 
Yes, yes. I'm sure you woke up this morning and went, party planning, that's what I want to do. Um, so uh, 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 let's see here. We have the Mercy Ministries. Um, we have our, our sort of member care. We, when, when one of, this is not Mercy Ministries, when, when one of our folks gets sick, Dom and Elaine head up getting them what they need, getting meals, getting things like that. Mercy Ministries is supposed to be that sort of care, but for people outside of our church, uh, for people in the community. A part of that has been what we do with the Valley Camp guys. Um, a part of that has been just finding out where the pain points in the community are. And we try to help in those positions, in those places of need in our community. Um, Steve Benjamin is over that group, and he does a good job with it. The problem that we've had with that is just finding out what the needs are in the community. And so that needs to be a, really a church-wide effort. When we, uh, whether we're in that group or not, when we find out that there's a need in the area, we need to get that communicated so that we can then offer our services of help to those outside the community, or to those outside of our faith community. We're, we're not gonna be able to help and solve everything, um, uh, but with our limited resources, we wanna be able to do more. And uh, however we can help, and so if that if that sounds like something that would appeal to you, something that you would enjoy, um, please uh, consider uh, doing that. Uh, we also always have needs with our facilities. Um, we have more facilities now than we've ever had with the addition of the parsonage, and that will also be a big need. Also, this coming year, we're planning on having a. Um, uh, I, I hesitate to call it a program, but but designated evenings where we have people from the church over to our house, and we'll have host sites, and you'll you'll sign up and say, yeah, I'm willing to host, and we host dinner uh, where several people will come over to your house, and this is in an effort for us to really keep getting to know people on a more personal level. Okay, and as I said, we'll be talking more about those things uh, in the coming weeks. But so you know, these are the things that are kind of coming down the pipe at you, okay? Any questions about that? That's a baseball term, the ball rolling down the pike. It means a fastball coming right down the middle. I had a coach from the deep south who used to tell me that I couldn't hit a two-legged hog running down a one-way ditch. <laughs> I'll let you think about that for a second. <laughs> He was probably right. Um, <laughs> Baker, you couldn't hit a two-legged hog running down a one-way ditch. Okay, let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. Let's read Isaiah 57 together. It's not a terribly long chapter, 21 verses. We'll read through it and study it together. The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. I'm sorry, for the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. But you, draw near, sons of sorceresses, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? You who burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, 
who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks? Among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your lot. To them you have poured out a drink offering. You have brought a grain offering. Shall I relent, as in shall I relent my judgment for these things? On a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed, and there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door in the doorpost you have set up your memorial. For deserting me, you have uncovered your bed, you have gone up to it, you have made it wide, you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed, you have looked on nakedness. You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoys far off and sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say, it's hopeless. You found new life for your strength so you were not faint. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time, and you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For as thus says the Lord, who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry, I struck him, I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore Comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. This is a passage of contrast. It's a passage of contrast. And if you look at the first two verses, we see a righteous man perishing. Devout men are taken away. When the righteous man is taken away, presumably in their death, they enter peace. When they lay down to pass over into eternity, it says they rest in their beds, those who walk uprightly. Those who live their lives before a holy God waiting for his consolation, those who walk uprightly, are at rest and are at peace. The theme of those who are comforted, those who have peace, extends later in the chapter as well, beginning in verse 14, as you see as we read. We, we see here that uh, God says, peace, peace to the far and to the near, I will heal him. Uh, but the wicked are like a tossing sea. 
And again, we see the contrast of the wicked and the righteous. There are all sorts of consequences in the lives of the righteous and of the wicked that are put on display here by way of contrast. Now we have to be very careful to remember uh, whom we're talking about. There's a broader context and a more immediate context. God is talking about wicked people. But what kind of wicked people is he talking about? Let's get the immediate context, the immediate wicked people that he's talking about. Do you remember last week what we said from Isaiah 56, that there are two kinds of people? There are two kinds of people. There are the kinds of people who worry that they won't have the blessing of God, but should find comfort. And there are those who believe they have the comfort of God, but shouldn't. They should not believe that. Let's see who those people are. Let's go, uh, let's go back to Isaiah 56. All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts of the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark. I have a dog next door who's barking. That dog can bark. Let me tell you. He barks all the time. He goes outside. He barked for three hours this morning. Barked all day yesterday. That dog can bark. But these are dogs that don't bark. They dream lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. So who are these people? They're shepherds who have no understanding. They say to themselves, let us get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. These are false teachers. These are poor teachers. These are religious leaders who are using their position of influence to enrich themselves. They are making themselves fat off of the backs of God's people. And they don't think it's going to stop. The gravy train is going to keep on rolling. They never stop to think, maybe God is going to bring this all to a halt. But let's ask the question, these wicked men, what exactly are they teaching? Are they only teaching paganism? Are they only teaching what is outlined here? Well, no. We need to get a broader context. So turn with me all the way back to Isaiah 1. Okay, Turn with me all the way back to Isaiah 1. And God is going to tell us who these people are. Isaiah 1 introduces the book. It tells us who Isaiah is talking to. And Isaiah, a spiritual leader, is talking to spiritual leaders. And he says, go to, go to verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 1. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of 
goats, okay? Tell me, what are these people doing? Read that passage and tell me what they're doing. What are these people doing? They're sacrificing. What kinds of sacrifice? Animals, blood. Are these the types of sacrifices God commands or the types that God doesn't command? Yeah. So they're doing what God wants them to do, right? So why is God angry? Why is God angry with them? Well, let's keep reading. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. I'm sorry, go down to verse 12. When you come to appear me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly assembly. So tell me, what is Isaiah saying is going on? What is Isaiah saying is happening? Somebody tell me. Hypocrisy. Okay, be more specific. Anna's got it right. It's hypocrisy. Be more specific. They're going through the motions, but their heart is not in it. It's more than that. Much more than that. Yes, Opal. Pretending and lying. Matthew. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now let's go back to Isaiah 57. Okay? What does it say here? It says, let's go to let's go to verse 5. You burn with lust among the oaks. It was well known that these oak groves, these groves of oak trees were places where there was a lot of um, pagan idolatry. So they're going among the oaks and sacrificing to these pagan idols. It says, under every green tree. That is uh, it's common, it was common in the Canaanite religion to use a green tree as a symbol for fertility. Now, it's going to be repeated many times here as you continue to read through this, but... So you know, ancient pagan religion and sexuality went hand in glove. They were one and the same. Sexual perversion and religion were combined in just about every way. And so if you were to say, go to Israel and go to, uh, uh, go to Jerusalem and tour the, the archaeological museum there, and you find Canaanite idols, almost all of them depict some act of sex, and that is their idol. And so as you read through here, you see this sexualization. Okay? 
So they're going under every green tree, which was a common place for pagan prostitutes to meet up with men for the sexual slash religious observance. When that happens, babies are made. And instead of dealing with their babies, it says, verse 5, that they slaughter their children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks. So, now that you see this in the text, somebody tell me what's going on. Child sacrifice. Okay. What else? Yes, Matthew. That's precisely right. That's precisely right. So let me give a picture of what's happening. On Friday, an, a Jewish man will go and make love to a Canaanite pagan prostitute and worship of the moon god. And on Saturday, he'll go to the temple and offer his burnt offering as Yahweh commanded it. And he thinks that he's good because he's covering all of his bases. He thinks that he can have both. Yes, it's hypocrisy. Yes, it's, we would call it syncretism. It's lust. What does God call it in this passage? God call it in this passage? Mockery, yes, but there's something more. It is idolatry, but it's another word for that. Abomination, that's a good way to put it. Let me give you a hint. Go to verse 3. Sorcery? Adultery. That's right. This is going to be picked up by Isaiah moving forward here. This is religious adultery. God says, you are my spouse. We made a covenant together. And 
now that you're espousing these other gods, look where it's led you. It's led you into this terrible hypocrisy, and it is adultery. Now, how many husbands do you know are okay with adultery? They may say they are in our modern day and age, but as soon as it knocks on their door, they ain't happy about it. And God isn't happy about it either when his people commit very real adultery and very spiritual adultery. Now, God, I said, as I said before, is painting a contrast. He's showing what happens to people when they go the way of spiritual adultery. And he's showing what happens when people remain faithful to the Lord. Okay, let's look at some of those consequences. He says, you've lied, verse uh, 11. You've, you haven't laid it to heart. He, he says, he says, you've wearied yourself. You've wearied yourself of this, but you never thought, maybe I should stop this. In fact, you just kept going further. God says there's another consequence that's happened. He says in verses 1 and 2, holy men, holy and righteous people are dying off in your presence, and you don't even notice it. There's godly people who are just passing off the scene, and you don't seem to care. You don't even seem to notice. This righteous influence that's pulling you in the direction of the Lord is disappearing from your presence. And you, in your hypocrisy, and your, your dualism, and trying to have it both ways, you don't recognize that the righteous are dying off in your land, and I'm not going to protect your land for the sake of those righteous people, because those righteous people are no more. Now, God says this. Here's another contrast. He says, verse 13, when you cry out, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to you. Let your idols take care of you. You've given yourself to idols. You've tried to give yourself both to idols and to me, but I don't, I don't do that, says God. That's adultery. You have to pick them or me. Exodus tells us he's a jealous God. And when trouble comes into your life, you're going to get weary, you're going to cry out, you're even going to cry out to me, and I'm not going to listen. Let your idols deliver you. But so you know, in the end, those idols are going to blow away. They're worthless. We've already established, he's already said in Isaiah, that, that you don't see, you don't see the, the, the um, contradiction of your idol. You cut a tree down. You cut a tree down that's a, a, a good tree. It's a it's a sturdy tree. You use half the tree to warm yourself and to cook your lunch, and then you use the other half of the tree and you carve it into an idol. You have to put pegs down on it to hold your idol up. A good wind will blow it over, and you don't see that obvious contradiction. Let that thing save you. And God often does this even for born-again Christians nowadays. When we give ourselves over to idols of the heart. I'm not saying that God ultimately abandons us, but I have found that when I put my confidence in something false, God will let me rely on that thing just enough for it to poke a hole in my hand. And then I go, oh, 
that was unreliable. <laughs> and then God is there ultimately to pick up the pieces and save. But this is what God says, a breath will take your idols away. Now here's the biggest consequence of all. Okay, Here's the biggest consequence of all. And it's also the biggest contrast of all. When people try to put themselves, put their faith in something in addition to God, in addition to God, not just instead of God, but when they put their trust in something in addition to God, their confidence for the day they die is gone. Their confidence for the day that they die is gone. It says that those who take refuge shall possess the land. And then he goes on to say, to say, I will not contend forever. I will not always be angry. He says back in verses 1 and 2 that when the righteous man dies, he is led away in peace. He says right here in verse 19, peace, peace to the far and to the near. It says in the previous verse, I will heal him. I will comfort him. I will comfort his mourners. He says, but the wicked are not like that. They're like the tossing sea. They don't have peace. And when they come to stand before God, they're terrified of it. And here's this great contrast of a righteous person who's given themselves wholly over to God alone, and they can stand in peace and equanimity, knowing that God cares for them, that God is fighting for them, that God has forgiven them. And those who try to add to God don't have that peace. They're always trying to find more things to add. And they are terrified of the day of reckoning. They're terrified of the day that they'll meet God. And here's this contrast between those who seek God and those who seek God plus something else. Okay? Now, there was one last contrast that I wanted to close with, okay? There was one last contrast that I wanted to close with. Let's look at the spirit. Let's look at the, the person who trusts in God alone. What is their defining characteristic? Okay, what is their defining characteristic? Okay? Uh, go down to uh, verse 14. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from the people's way, for thus is the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is contrite and, uh, and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart This is the main difference between those who have peace and those who don't. The one who has peace brings himself under the authority of the word of God and is lowly in spirit and as this word here is contrite, beneath. Those who don't have peace in pride and in defiance of the word of God, 
try to add something to the word of God. I want God plus this ceremony under an oak tree. I want God plus this new moon feast. I want to do a bunch of good things that will then that will then negate my need to turn my heart over to God. So they say they follow God, but they don't listen to the God that they say that they follow. You see that? And so if if we were to say, God, okay, we've got this group of people that's that's always working, always toiling, never at peace. They're terrified of judgment. They're going to be judged by you. And we've got this other group of people who are at peace. You're for, you've forgiven them. They actually look forward to the day that they'll go home with you and be with you forever. What's the difference between those two people? And God would say, one trembles at my word, and one defies my word. One listens to what I say, and one says, I will follow God, but doesn't listen. And Jesus draws this contrast. He says, listen, there's a person who builds a great house, but they do so on sand, and when the floods come, great is the fall of that house. But there's a person who builds his house on the rock, and the one who builds his house on the rock, the waves come, the floods beat, house stands firm. Jesus says the person who builds their house on sand is the one who hears my words and goes and does their own thing. And the one who builds their house on the rock is the one who hears my words and heeds them, listens to them, obeys them. And this is Jesus' way of picturing what Isaiah 57 is talking about but it's not exclusively Isaiah 57. This can be found all throughout the prophets. Okay? So, let's remember. Isaiah 57 is not a condemnation of the outright pagans. It's a condemnation of people who try to take God's ways and add other things to it. Does that make sense? Often those ways are very depraved, sometimes less. But God says, when you do that, there's a contrast that occurs. One has no peace, and one has my peace. And so that's the difference. That's the contrast that Isaiah 57 is picturing. Any questions about that? No questions? Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we will get ready for worship this morning. Father, give us grace to know your mind, and I pray that we would tremble at your word. There are so many people professing born-again Christians, professing Christians in our nation, who I think would fall under this category of condemnation. They say they follow you, They'll get on social media and proclaim that they follow you. But they're finding their confidence in so many other things. It's not just hypocrisy. It's spiritual adultery. 
And I pray for us that that would not be named even once among us. That we would tremble at your word. That we would desire to know your mind and put on contriteness of heart so that we may follow you and you alone all our days. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.